when I stand at the judgment seat of Christ and he shows his plan for me, the plan of my life as it might have been had he had his way. And I see how I blocked him here and checked him there, and I would not yield my will. Will there be grief in my Savior's eyes, grief though he loves me still? Would he have me rich and I stand there poor, stripped of all but his grace, while memory runs like a hunted thing down the paths I cannot retrace? Lord, of all the years that are left to me, I give them to thy hand. Take me and break me and mold me to the pattern that thou hast planned. Author of me. Welcome to King Me Ministries podcast, episode number five. Last time we were on, I told you that my intent was to have my wife on for the next episode. But to be completely honest with you, our family has, has run into some uh, tough weeks I'm not sure how you guys feel about spiritual warfare, but it's certainly something that I've had some experience with, and I'll say it's not a fun thing. What I'm noticing in our lives now is it seems to happen most when my wife and I are taking ground on the enemy. These spiritual attacks seem to happen most when we are um, allowing God to grow us, to challenge us, when we are breaking agreements that we've made with the enemy. It happens when we uh, stand in a gap for our children and really sort of uh, pray over them and, and, and put things into action that are going to help them become the men and women that we are praying that they become. Uh, sometimes it's just when we say, you know, what, we're going to do this ministry, we're going to host a Bible study, or we're going to pray together at night, or we're going to make sure that we get our family involved in some, some service activities at the local church. Uh, it doesn't seem to matter. It just seems like anytime we make a step towards God and, and surrender more of our life, it seems to be met with this spiritual warfare, these attacks that seem to come out of nowhere. We've been fortunate over the past few months to see some winds pile up. We've seen God answer some prayers. We've seen God move in, in ways that only God can, can really move. And it's undeniable that God is working on our lives. He's preparing us for some sort of new blessing or new ministry. But over the past few weeks, it seems like the enemy has got wind of that and he has turned up the attacks. And what we've done uh, is not what we're supposed to do. We haven't turned that to God. We haven't run to him and we haven't sought him out like King David did, that God is a strong tower. He's, he, he allows us to hide under his wings. He is our refuge King David did so well at that, and, and we were doing so well at that, but it seems like this past couple weeks we have recoiled and, and we have kind of went back into ourselves, and, and we've, without even saying it, we're sort of making these, these agreements in our head, well, you know what, if, if, if this is what it's like, then, then if this is too much, and instead of facing the enemy, we, we, have, um, we have hidden and, and that is to our own shame, and we know who God is. We know what God is capable of, and we've chosen to, um, to run. Uh, the enemy is a bully, and we must learn how to fight back. But as I was praying and asking God to help me process uh, these attacks, and, and more importantly, even the purpose of these spiritual attacks, I felt him press upon my heart two things. One was Morgan Snyder in his book, becoming a king, he reminds us, he says, we and the world, my children, will always be at war. Retreat is impossible. Arm yourselves. 
God is reminding me again that there's always going to be a battle. There's going to be battles for many years to come, right up until the day that Jesus comes. Secondly, God used an illustration that I've used many times before. I've given it to other people, and I've used it as part of a sermon. But the illustration is of a missionary who's over in a third-world country, and he's bringing the gospel, and he's out all day long. He's preaching, he's teaching, and at the end of the day, he's tired. He comes back to the hut that he's been assigned. He walks into the hut, puts his stuff down, and what does he see but this massive, massive snake? It's not moving, it's not hissing, but it's certainly not something that he wants to to lay down and go to bed next to. So he goes and he finds one of the tribal men, and they come, and together they deliver to this snake this, this mortal wound. They, they strike it in the head with a spear, and there's no doubt that this snake is going to die. But before this snake draws its last breath, it just decides to wreak complete havoc and destruction on the inside of that hut. With his last few breaths, it decides to destroy this man's home. And God is reminding us through that beautiful illustration that Jesus himself delivered to Satan a mortal wound. When Christ climbed on that cross, when he was crucified, when he laid dead, and he, by his own will, decided to rise from the dead, he delivered to Satan a mortal wound that he will never recover from. But as he's taking his last breath, as, he's, as, as life is seeping out of Satan, he, he seems to have this one last bit of energy where he's just trying to destroy and wreak havoc on God's children and God's creation. I once heard a pastor preach a sermon on that story of Peter walking on the water. He says to Jesus, if you truly are the Christ, then, then let me come out and walk on the water to you. And Jesus says, come. And Peter gets out of the boat and he's walking on the water. And the story goes that Peter noticed the waves And he started to panic and he started to sink and Jesus had to rescue him. The pastor went on, he says, you know, we have to learn to keep our eyes on Jesus when the waves are coming. He says, and this, this stuck with me over the years. He says, let the waves be the waves. Let your eyes remain on the Christ. Over the past couple weeks, we've taken our eyes off of Christ and we've started looking at the waves. But in response to that and this, this invitation that Christ is giving my wife and I right now, our eyes are back on him. And in obedience, we are launching this podcast and we're going to get to having Epi on really soon. Uh, but we're, we're coming back together as a couple and really focusing on him and, and letting the waves be the waves. Hey guys, if you're enjoying this podcast, we ask that you just go ahead and share it. Let's get the word out there. If you're looking for more content, please follow us on social media or our website at kingmeministries.com. Enjoy the podcast. One of the most epic movies of our time, at least for me, is the movie Gladiator. I've seen that movie more times than I can recall. It's a quintessential guys movie, a must-see for a guy. Heck, I've even caught my wife watching that movie more than once without me. And how do you not love the opening scene of that movie? I'm a quotes guy. The right quote can fire me up for weeks to come. What he says, what Marcus Aurelius says in that opening scene gets me every time. He says, what we do in life echoes for eternity. 
I would say without a doubt that that quote should go down in literary hall of fame. But like all epic moments in story, we can see that they have been borrowed from the grander story, God's story. What we do in this life matters in the next. We see that through the entire story of Scripture. Let me ask you a question, and I want you to answer honestly. Has there ever been a time in your existence when you were completely satisfied with where you were? If we're honest, those moments, if they exist at all, are rare. Most of us spend our moments looking forward to the next best thing, or stuck looking back at the good old days. Let me prove this to you quickly. What transpires when you get together with friends or family that you haven't seen in a while? It's inevitable that those conversations quickly trend towards the good old days and those, those grand stories. Without a doubt, there are smiles and laughter that erupt. Or to be true, sometimes those old wounds are opened up. And if it's not looking back at those grand stories, we fill our time looking forward. Seriously, let me ask you, when you were eight or nine years old, what did you look forward to? Wasn't it the desire to be that double digits? And what about when you were in those double digits? Did you look forward to being a 13-year-old, a teenager? And that didn't last too long because the next best thing was planning to be 16, where you'd get your license and the freedom that that promised. Being 16 was great, but 18 promised more freedom. Being 18 faded quickly as you realized that you could pay taxes, be called to fight in a war for your country, but you still couldn't buy a beer. You wanted to be 21 years old. It doesn't stop there either because year 25 offered, you know, cheaper car insurance. From there forward, retirement starts to look appealing. So we start saving and planning for those last few years here on earth. We do that as if that's all that there was until those years seem to be the last few pages of a great book. It's been amazing, but like every good book, everything comes to a close. How much of your time is spent looking back? How much is looking forward to things to come later in this life? How much of your time is spent thinking about what happens after this life? There's a great story out there, and I wish I could remember the details, but the idea was of an old accomplished professor, and he had this young man under his mentorship. And one day, close to the end of his own life, the older man met with the up-and-coming young man. And he says to him, he says, so what's next for you? And the young man says, well, next year I start college. The professor says, then what? I suppose I will go on and get my doctorate just like you. The professor says, then what? I suppose I'll take a job teaching the next generation. Then what? Well, I suppose I will then start a family. And then what will you do? I, like yourself, will write my memoirs. Then what? I suppose I will die. Then what? The young man says, I don't really know. The professor says, I suggest that you take the rest of the day. Go to a quiet place and contemplate a better answer to that inevitable question. Francis Chan has the best visual illustration of this. I've used it often. I've used it at youth rallies. I've even used it to facilitate my uncle's funeral. Pastor Chan has this massive rope. He's holding one end of the rope, and you cannot see the other end. It's as if this rope has a beginning, but no end. On the end of the rope, in his hand, the one that has a clear beginning, it's painted with red paint for about six inches. This entire rope is white, with only the first six inches painted red. 
He uses this illustration to say, your life has a clear beginning, signified by the beginning of the red paint. We celebrate that day every year. It's the day of your birth. And your life on earth has an end, and that's signified by the end of the painted part. But the rope doesn't end. It goes on and on and on for eternity, just like your existence. You have a birth and a death, but that's not the end of you. You will exist forever. One of my go-to verses to comfort those who have lost a loved one, and even in preparation for my own inevitable death, is Psalm 116, verse 15. It says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. To me, that is a stark reminder and a comfort that God has indeed circled a specific date that he has handpicked for me to meet him face to face. The Apostle Paul builds, builds our hope when he announces that for believers, to be absent from the body is to be present with Jesus. The writer of Hebrews reminds us, he says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. What we do in life echoes in eternity. The illustration of the rope is a great reminder that each of us have been given so much time on this earth, but it will inevitably come to an end. And after that is the beginning of our time, our existence outside of our body in the presence of Christ. And as Hebrews writer says, there will come a time of judgment where we give an account for how we spent that time here on earth. And Jesus himself reminds us, he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus is saying, you have been gifted this life and this life, what you invest in, and what you run after has a direct impact on your life after death. Assuming that you have placed your faith in the finished work of Jesus, you are saved and your place in heaven is secure. Jesus is making the point that everything you do here falls into one of two categories. One, it's earthly and it will stay here when you die. Or two, it's eternal and will follow you into eternity after this life. This understanding is commonly referred to as living with an eternal perspective. If you understand that you will die and that once you are dead, you will be in God's presence and God will separate the earthly things that you ran after from the eternal things you invested in, you start to look at life a little differently. One of the greatest lessons my dad ever taught me is when I was 16 and looking to buy my first car, of course, I didn't have money to do it, but I wanted a Ford Mustang badly. And my dad was driving by a junkyard one time and we stopped and he said, you know, you see that car over there? It was once beautiful. It was brand new. It had that new car smell. And look where it is now. That was a great lesson to teach me that the things that we run after do indeed uh, fade. They rust. They end up in a yard sale or a junkyard. Conversely, Jesus says in the Gospels, he says that if you give a cup of cold water to a needy person in my name, I will never forget about that. Good or bad, what we do in this life echoes in eternity. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 paints a vivid picture of this. He says, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. 
He's saying that's our starting point. Our starting point is Jesus. That's the only way that a man is saved. And then he moves on. He says, now, if anyone chooses to build on that foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Rick Howard in his book, This Was Your Life, Preparing to Meet God Face to Face, paints a perfect picture of of the, the understanding of this verse. He says, Imagine that you, at the end of your life, you, you take everything that you invested in, everything that you ran after, and it's in a pile right in front of you as you stand before Jesus. All the earthly things that you ran after are symbolized with wood, hay, and straw. It's burnable. And all the things that were done to honor God and, and obedience to God and to, to reach out to those that God loved and, and you did things on his behalf, those things will be symbolized as precious stones, gold, silver. And you have this idea that all of that is placed in front of you in a pile. And as Jesus approaches, he approaches with a torch and he lights your pile on fire and you see all the earthly things just melt, they evaporate, they burn up. And the only thing that is left are the things that you did in his name and for his glory. That's all we will have left in eternity. The things that we did for him and on his behalf. No one's going to get to heaven and be able to boast about their sneaker collection. Look how many Jordans I had. No one's going to be able to be standing there saying, you know, I binge watched 75 different episodes or, or series on Netflix. The size of your house won't matter. The type of car that you had, the number of zeros that you have in your bank account, all that stuff will be burned up when you stand before Jesus. I tell my wife often about our possessions. I keep reminding her that they're just things. We have to hold them loosely because if God decides to take them away from us, it, it hurts less if our grip isn't so tight. But what we have to remind ourselves is, is that day is coming. Those things will be stripped away from us. They will have no more value in our life when we stand before Jesus. The only thing that's going to stand the test of fire that Jesus has are the things that we have done in his name, the people that we've loved, the, the, the sacrificial giving, the cups of cold water in his name, the forgiveness that we granted when it wasn't, wasn't worthy, um, all those things that we've done for him in obedience to him. And, and here's where I start to speculate a little bit, but as I consider the, the, the potential pile of, of gold and precious stones that I might have, what do I do with those? Is that, is that for me to be able to boast in heaven, look, look what I have? I, I don't think so. I think that's demonic to think that, that I'll have more precious stones and jewels and, 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 and awards in heaven than the next person. I really do believe that as the elders take off their crowns and they worship Jesus, I, I think that, that what I have left in that pile will be my, my gift back to him where I get to, to take whatever I've invested in. I be able to get, I be, I'm able to just kind of lay that at his feet and say, Jesus, you are worthy of this. You are the only one worthy of honor and glory and power. Let me give you what only you deserve. 
when I imagine that moment, I don't worry so much about having as much as the next guy. What really motivates me, what even intimidates me and scares me is that I wouldn't have something, a gift to give Jesus. I know what he's worthy of. I know, as any man can know, what what he's done, the cost that he's paid for me. I want to give him something that's that's worthy of him and worthy of what he's done for me. That's my motivation. I shared a quote at the beginning of the podcast, and I want to reiterate that again. I put it in the, in the front of each of my Bibles just as a reminder for me. It goes, When I stand at the judgment seat of Christ, and he shows his plan for me, the plan of my life as it might have been had he had his way, and I see how I blocked him here and checked him there, I would not yield my will. Will there be grief in my Savior's eyes, grief though he loves me still? Would he have me rich and I stand there poor, stripped of all but his grace, while memory runs like a hunted thing down the paths I I cannot retrace? Lord of the years that are left to me, I give them to thy hand. Take me and break me and mold me to the pattern that thou hast planned. I want to live with an eternal perspective. I want to live each moment knowing that what I'm choosing to do in that moment matters in eternity. I want to invest in the things that are eternal, the things that bring God glory, the things that He has agreed and promised to remember and never forget. I want my life to have value beyond what's going to rust and be sold in a yard sale. So what does it mean for us to live with an eternal perspective? Can any of us avoid having wasted moments or wasted investments, things that have no value beyond this life? Every one of us will have a ton of things that evaporates when we see for the first time the economy of heaven. There's a corny story with a great point. There's a rich man and right before he dies, he instructs his lawyers and his family to bury him with all of his money. He dies, and as he stands before St. Peter, Peter looks at him and looks at what he brought, and and then he asks him, he says, why did you bring all this pavement with you? You see, in heaven, the streets are gold. Don't miss that. We will walk on the very things that many of us cherish here on earth. So what does it really mean to live with an eternal perspective? What does that look like? Can any of us avoid having wasted moments or wasted investments, those things that have no value beyond this life? Every one of us will have a ton of things that evaporate when we see for the first time the economy of heaven. You know, there's a corny story. It's got a great point. It's a story of a rich man who right before he dies, he instructs his lawyers and his family to bury him with all his money. And he dies, and as he stands before St. Peter... Peter looks at all that he had brought, looks at the man, and then asks him, why did you think it was important to bring all this pavement with you? You see, in heaven, the streets are gold. Don't miss that. We will walk on the very things that many of us cherish here on earth. Pavement is short money compared to the things that have true wealth in heaven. You know, it's not sinful to have these things or do these things. And in Scripture, there's no clear warning that there will be punishment for those things that are burned up, you know, those things that have earthly value only. While wasted and squandered time and talents, that's going to be addressed when Jesus addresses our lives. 
I think for some of us, maybe even all of us, as we watch those things that we ran after, those things that we collected, those things that we covered, coveted, when we watch those vanish, I think that will be shock enough. I think reality will set in quickly that we might have spent a little too much time running after the wrong things. If you've ever spent a day at the beach and you've seen some kids invest their entire day building castles in the sand, you know, the ones with the great castles and the elaborate additions and the, the trenches and all that stuff. And if you watch them as the tide commins, if you look at their eyes as they realize that I did all of this and now it's gone, then you have a visual of what it will probably look like when all the things that you have invested in, collected, bragged about, are shown for what they really are, temporal. You and I will realize vividly, many of us for the first time, how short our lives really were, and we will see the real value of things that we placed as priorities. You know, I'm on a quest to one day earn my black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. It's a quest that will take me no short of 10 years. And I have to admit that all the work, all the sweat, and even the blood that I've invested, I know that that belt will be part of my pile that burns up. While I hope that there are some great classes there and, and really hope that I'll be able to get in some good roles, the belt itself won't make it. However, the lessons, the conversations during and after class with training partners, the relationships where I made Christ the center, those will be proved to be precious stones and gems that will endure and prove to have been worth my time and my investment here on earth. That's what it means to live with an eternal perspective, to view everything through the eyes of one day standing before Jesus and having to give an account for where our treasure on earth was placed and simply choosing to go heavy on the things that will last and to go light on investing in the things that will be proved to be just fuel for the fire. Mundane things are okay. Sneaker collections are okay. Spending extra time to wash your truck and make it look good. Taking a cooking class simply because you enjoy cooking. Reading books just for the pure joy of being entertained. That's all okay. I believe when Jesus said the words, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. He was saying it was okay to enjoy the things God gives us to enjoy. I'd go so far as to say that God delights in us embracing those things that he's made available to us. Gosh, I know I'm an average dad. On my best days, I'm average. But I find more joy in watching my kids live than any other part of my existence. Whether it's one of them playing a sport or learning how to maintain their sporty car all on their own or learning how to drive for the first time, I just love when they have no idea that I'm watching them. I just smile so deeply. And I think God does the same thing. So let's keep doing those things. But let's live with two things in mind. One, you and I will give an account. And two, invest in the things that will outlast your earthly life. People matter. Loving people matters. More than that, God matters. I want to bless him and I want to have something of value to offer him when I stand before him. What we do in this life matters. It will echo in eternity. Live accordingly. Let me pray for us. Father, you are the author of our lives, and for that we thank you. Our very breath is a gift. Our lives are your gift to us. Help us to spend our lives in ways that are a gift back to you. You are worthy of lives spent well. 
I don't want to get to heaven and realize that I spent my one shot at life on things that won't matter in eternity. Be gracious to us, Father. Help us to number our days and make them count for something that will last. Help us in discerning what is of lasting value and what is just temporary. Help us to live in the reality that you, as our Father, delight in watching us live our lives. Help us to enjoy every moment and realize that we can be investing in eternity no matter what we are doing if we simply invite you into those moments where everything is done with you at the center of our lives. Father, we love you. We adore you. We are grateful for your gifts to us. We bless your great name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey guys, thanks for checking out King Me Ministries podcast. I do hope it's been a blessing to you. If it has been, then just go ahead and share it. If you have any questions, definitely reach out to us on social media. We'd love to hear your feedback. Until next week, God bless you.